So we are continuing our look at toxic religion this morning and, uh, and looking at that way of doing Christianity, of doing faith that is ugly and poisonous and doesn't look anything really like the way of Jesus. And, uh, and yet there is another way the scriptures teach us. And so we're looking at uh, 1 Timothy this morning in chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, and I'm starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Paul writes, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say, it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work so hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. <clears throat> so uh, we looked at 2 Timothy last week, and we're backing up the bus a little bit, looking at 1 Timothy and another instruction that Paul gives to Timothy, who he's mentoring as a, as a leader in the church and teaching the way of Jesus so that he can teach the people in Ephesus. And so he begins this, this uh, letter, uh, this part of the letter, by saying, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. They'll follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. So the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. So he's talking about this way of the true faith versus the way that these people are living that he's come across. And he says, look, Timothy, you need to realize the difference between living out a true faith and being like these guys. So it's another counterfeit version of Christianity. It's another way of living faith that doesn't line up with what Jesus taught and what Jesus showed when he was here. And so Paul warns him about this, and he says, in these last times, and remember last week we said the last days are not like the end of the world times. He's not talking about the apocalypse. He's talking about the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. So the days that we live in. And so he says that there are going to be some who turn away from the true faith, and they'll follow instead these deceptive spirits, these other teachings that come from demons. So the root of these teachings, they come from demons, deceptive spirits, they're, they're deceiving people, these spirits, and then those people become hypocrites and liars. So they fall, they've fallen for these deceptive teachings, so they're, they're being deceived, they're being lied to by those spirits, 
And then they're buying the lie and they're passing on the lie to other people. And so Paul warns them, like, like this is going around. People are teaching this. They're learning this and then they're teaching this. And its source is from the dark side of the force. Like they're not getting this from God. And there's a way to do it that's the opposite of true faith. And here's what it looks like. And so last week we looked at, at 2 Timothy and that whole long list of character traits and, and how they would go around slandering and, and uh, disobeying their parents and doing all kinds of stuff that uh, were, were character flaws. But this time, as he's describing the true faith and the deceptive spirits, he says these teachings, they come from there, and the people are hypocrites and liars. And then... He says that the source is, is the demons, so they, they've fallen for the lies, they've passed on the lies. And then he says something really strange. He says their consciences are dead. Like, like dead, dead. Like, like their consciences are dead. And I, I don't know what your picture of a conscience is, um, but we know it's, it's that part of us that tells us right from wrong. And if you watch a lot of Disney, then you're picturing Jiminy Cricket, Right? Jiminy Cricket kind of whispers to Pinocchio and says, don't do this and do that. And this is the wrong way and this is the right way and don't tell lies anymore. And, and Jiminy Cricket's the one that kind of is the voice of reason and the voice of what's right. Or maybe you've seen enough TV and movies where there's like the little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other shoulder and the little angel says, do it this way and this is the right thing to do and, and you shouldn't lie and you should tell the truth and you should do good and you should be kind to other people and the other one's going, no, don't listen to him. It's not fun doing that. We should do this. We should really party. And you picture the little angel and the little devil duking it out trying to talk you into things. But whatever your picture is, we know that con our conscience is the voice inside us that tells us what's right and wrong. And Paul says these people that Timothy's going to run into, he says the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that there are people walking around who that little voice is not working. Like they're not hearing it. It's dead to them. It's like somebody stomped on Jiminy Cricket and he can't pipe up anymore and there's no one telling them what's right and wrong because they've killed their conscience and they're just going around doing evil anyway. And so Paul says that these people that he's talking about, these people who have fallen for false teachings, that they have killed their conscience and they're walking around and, uh, and they've got a dead conscience. And so we picture it that way. We think about it that way. And if we're Christians, we'd say, well, well there's not just the voice inside us that comes from us to tell us that it's right and wrong. It's, it's not what we feel is right or what we feel is wrong. There's the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And that's why he says the Holy Spirit tells us that this is going to happen in the last days. And people are going to stomp out that voice, telling them what's right, telling them what's wrong. And, uh, and so they're going to fall off course and they're going to fall for these lies of the enemy. And then they're going to spread those lies about the nature of reality. And if we picture it that way, if we start to think, what would we picture happening if people had dead consciences? What happens if people don't hear the voice telling them that things are right and things are wrong, what would happen? They would walk around in the world and what? They'd do whatever they want and they didn't, wouldn't care who they hurt and, and they'd be mean and cruel and selfish and all those things. Maybe like that list that we talked about last week, wouldn't you think? 
Like that could be the result of a dead conscience. And Paul says them to them, their consciences are dead, they fall for the lies, they spread the lies, and their conscience is dead. And so that voice that tries to tell them that they're believing lies, their conscience, it's been wiped out. So what happens when you believe lies and your conscience is dead? What does that look like? And we would think it's people doing whatever they want and just indulging every pleasure. And who cares about anyone else? And especially who cares what God thinks? Let's just do our own thing. But that's not what Paul describes next, is it? Did you notice that? When, when Paul continues on from there, he says, these people, they've fallen for the lie. They bought into the lie. Now they're liars and they're hypocrites. They're not really living the true gospel. They're living as hypocrites. Uh, and they're doing it because their consciences are dead. And then he says, they will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain food. So instead of anything and everything goes, it's quite the opposite with the, these people. He says these people with the dead consciences are walking around and they're so uptight that they're saying you shouldn't get married and you shouldn't eat certain food and they have all these strict rules for how you live. They're not more loose with the rules. They're more uptight with the rules than anyone else. And so they're walking around telling people they shouldn't get married and they, and they can't eat certain foods and they add all of these things that, that come and we would think that they would be looser but they're more uptight. When I, uh, when I pastored the church, I've talked about this church a few times in Mississauga, uh, where it was like the church with all the daycare kids, like 150 daycare kids. And when I got there, it was 16 people, all over 60, which seemed really old back then. Doesn't seem that, that old now. I don't know why. Not because I'm 60 yet, but I'm getting closer. And so they... This church, there was, there was one of the old guys that went to that church, Wilford, and Wilford was so committed to coming to church, Wilford got on three city buses and transferred to another bus and then another bus. He had to take three buses and transfer a couple of times to get to church. And then he had to walk like four big city blocks. And, and Wilford came in the summer, Wilford came in the winter. He made it to church no matter what. And, and one Sunday... I'll never forget, I, I, he walked in and he looked at the bulletin <clears throat> and he got all excited. He saw the title of my sermon and that Sunday my sermon was titled The Good Old Days. And Wilford said, oh, that's great because, you know, I love the good old days because, you know, kids these days, they walk around and, and they'll run you down on the sidewalk with their skateboard and they wear their pants down to here and, and, and they show no respect. They're terrible. They're mean and they're... They're just running around loose and doing all kinds of stuff. And, and they'll, they're running in gangs and doing crack cocaine. And these kids these days, they're terrible. So he was all excited about the sermon in the good old days. And then this guy gets up and preaches on Jeremiah 3. And in Jeremiah 3, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the people of God. And he says to them, no longer will you look back at the good old days, you know, in the temple. He says, you won't look back for the good old days, but God is preparing to do a new thing. And so Wilford's sitting there waiting for me to talk about how horrible it is now and how we should go back to the good old days. And I start preaching about how God's preparing to do a new thing. And I could see the look on his face as I'm preaching. 
And first he was confused, and then he was a little upset, and then he popped up. He stood up, and he interrupted the sermon. He said, but wait! But what about the kids on their skateboards, and they, they're doing crack cocaine, and they ride you down on the sidewalk on their skateboards, and their pants are down here, and their underwear's hanging out, and it's terrible, and they're, they're, what, what about that? I thought you were going to talk about the good old days. And then he sat back down, and I kept preaching. And we got to the, you know, I, I, I tried to keep going and stay on track. It's a little distracting when somebody stands up and does that to you, believe it or not. And I got to the end of my sermon, and, uh, and as I'm kind of winding down, he stood up again. So I was like, I, I can't really, I, I don't want to let this get off track. So I didn't take a breath. I, like, I just kept rolling. There was no gap for him to jump into. And then the sermon finished, and my wife was leading worship, and she just started playing the piano and, and launched into the first song after, and he sat down. And after, he's like, oh, I, I don't know if I, maybe I didn't understand. I said, I don't think you did, Wilford. But he was railing about the, the good old days, the being great, and, and now being horrible, and, and some of the things he thought were horrible maybe weren't that bad, but he had this view of, of life. It was hard, and, and some things he didn't like, and, and some people today kind of look at that kind of thing, and they go, you know, there's those Christians. They're always walking around wagging their fingers. They're always upset about something. They don't like stuff. And Paul, Paul when he's explaining to Timothy, he, he'd explain to him in, in 2 Timothy, he explains to him later, all the things and the character traits and the things that we, we shouldn't do. But, but here he says, the problem with them is that their conscience is dead. And it's not that they start running wild and they don't know the things that are wrong, so they're doing all these bad things. It's that they don't know what's okay. And so they've, become, they've got this version that's not of true faith, but this fake version of religion that looks really uptight. So it seems like it's really serious about God. But it's so uptight that they've taken it too far. And it's not that they don't recognize what's wrong. They don't recognize what's okay. And so they walk around kind of shaking their fingers and ruining everybody's fun. And so these people that he's talking to, he says, that they, they're walking around saying you shouldn't get married and you shouldn't eat certain foods. And, and they've got all kinds of strict rules. But that those rules show that their consciences are dead. See, there's this heresy in Paul's day, this, this false belief that heaven and spiritual things are good and that our world is basically bad and corrupt. And so because spiritual life is good and, and the earth is bad and your body's bad and your you know, earthly life is all kind of mired in sin, so, they, so that because they believe that, they came to two equally opposite conclusions. Some of the Gnostics decided that if, you're, if the earthly life is bad, then it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. It doesn't really matter what you do in this life. As long as you try to believe spiritual things and, and take care of your spirit, do what you want with your body. Indulge it. Do, do whatever. And so they'd go to those extremes of just letting anything go. But then there was a whole other group that still believed spirit's good, world's evil, 
And they walked around going, well, if our bodies are bad, we should beat it into submission. Like you should deny your body every, anything that's fun, anything that feels good, you should avoid it at all costs because obviously it would bother God. And there's people in our world that sometimes you'd think that their view of God is that if it's fun or it feels good, God doesn't want you to do it. Like God's the cosmic killjoy in the sky that's just watching everybody and trying to ruin everything for them by making them feel bad about anything that gives them any kind of pleasure whatsoever. And here Paul is saying these people that, are, that have these really strict rules, they've fallen off the wagon. They don't understand the true faith. And, and, and instead of erring in this direction of anything goes, which isn't right, they go the other extreme and they say, everything's bad and, you know, make sure you don't do anything fun. Make sure you don't do this. And so they're denying people to be married because they say, oh, that's, you're just indulging you, you yourself in, in marital bliss and, and that can't be good because some married couples actually love each other and you might enjoy yourself. And you can't eat food because you'd just be enjoying it because food's kind of fun we're going to have a barbecue after the outdoor picnic and we're going to enjoy ourselves right and so they come up with these rules these physical rules and they sound really pious but they're made up rules and so paul says to timothy don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives tales he says they, they've got ideas about what's right and wrong, but they're just old wives' tales. They're, they're like false. They're not true. They're, they're not what you should be thinking about. And don't waste your time even arguing with them, Timothy. Don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Paul says there's a way to do it that you're wasting time or there's a way that you can do it that you're spending your time and training for godliness. He says, don't waste your time arguing about these rules with them. Don't waste your time talking about things that aren't rooted in godliness. But instead, train yourself in godliness. So where would we find out about godliness, right? We know. It's the scriptures. And so Paul is, is telling Timothy, he's warned him again and again. He's, he's drawn Timothy over and over again back to the scriptures. And so he says, Timothy, you got to remember, you got to train yourself for godliness. And he says, physical training is good. Like, it's, it's good to work out. It's, it's good to take care of your body. And some people become kind of fitness fanatics. And they end up with a physique like mine, right? Look at that. I got friends who really work out, and I stand next to them, and I just look like a beanpole now. Before I put on some weight, and then it was like, it wasn't good. But these guys, they, they chisel themselves, and they work out, and they eat right, and they take care of themselves, and they put a lot of effort into it because they say we should take care of our bodies. You know, God gave them to us, and they're right, and I try to take care of my body, although I don't always do a great job. And he says that's pretty good to do, but he says training for godliness is much better. It promises benefits in this life, just like working out does, but also in the life to come. He says, like, if you take care of your body, you know, you'll have a little better life here, but if you take care of your soul, you'll have a good life here, and you have a good life for eternity. Like, that's way more important 
than taking care of your body. It doesn't have to be either or. They're both good, he said, but one's way better. And so he says that Timothy should train himself for godliness. Don't waste your time arguing. Don't fall into those debates. But follow godliness. Look to the right source of godliness so you can understand what God wants from you. And you'll know what you shouldn't do. But you'll also know what's okay. You'll know what freedom you have in Christ so that the people wagging their fingers at you, you won't have to worry that they're judging you for that. But you will understand what is to be avoided and what is completely permissible in Christ. And he says, Timothy, it'll, it'll, it'll take effort to do that. And you've got to avoid that debate and you've got to lean into godliness. And so Paul says, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. He says, don't waste time, spend your time, train yourself, continue to seek God, read and study your Bible. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Paul says, this is why we work so hard. So we'll know what's right and we'll know what's wrong and we'll know which things we have to avoid and which things we're free to do. And the only way we're going to know that is if we put in the effort and we train in godliness. That's why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God. He says our hope is in the living God. This is not a belief system. This is not a religion. This is the living God of heaven. And it matters what he thinks. Not what we think and not what the naysayers think. Not what the people who say you can do whatever you want and just you know, follow your heart and your own dreams and do whatever you feel is right. Or the people that say, don't do any of that and don't do anything that's fun and make sure you're miserable all the time because that'll show how much we love Jesus. He says we listen to him. And he'll tell us what's right. And his Holy Spirit will warn us. So not just so that we avoid that extreme, but so that we avoid the extreme of being too uptight and having too many rules and thinking things are wrong that are completely fine with God. And he says our hope is in the living God who's the Savior of all people. He says... He's the savior of all people. Like he died to save everyone. Now that doesn't mean that you can do what you want and that everyone is just going to end up in heaven in the end anyway. And so, you know, try to be nice. But if you don't make it, don't worry about it. That's not what that means. He's not talking about universalism. He says he's the savior of all people. Like that's what God wants. He's not shaking his finger at us and, and telling us, if you blow it once, I'm just going to throw you away. He wants everyone to be saved. He's the savior of all people. He's provided salvation for everyone. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, particularly of all believers. Like, he died for everyone. He paid for salvation for everyone. But it's particularly those who believe who access that salvation and make use of it and allow it to do what it wants to do to save us and to shape us and to make us his. And so Paul says, look, he died for you and he provided salvation for you and he saves you sometimes from yourself and your own sense of 
what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes we can make the mistake in one direction or the other. But he says, look, follow Jesus. Know the living God. Put your hope in him and believe in him. And that salvation that he's provided for everyone will have its way with you. And it'll make your life what it should be. And it'll give you abundant life that Jesus promised you. And he did it for everyone, but not everyone believes and not everyone accepts it. Not everyone allows it to work in them, but he did it for everyone, whether they make use of it or not. And so Paul warns them about these Gnostics, but we also walk around in a world where everybody's got opinions about what's okay and what's not okay. And there's some people we walk into that say anything goes and just have fun and do whatever you feel is right. And we kind of instinctively know that's, that's not okay, right? Like that there's some things that are wrong. Even if it makes us feel good, it's wrong because it, it harms other people, because it violates the word of God. We know that. But sometimes we can walk around with a sense that we're more righteous than anyone else and we've got stricter rules, so that makes us more holy, right? And we can make that same other mistake of the Gnostics and we can walk around feeling like we're smug and superior spiritually. And Paul says there's a way of doing that because you've got a dead conscience and if you had a live conscience, if you were listening for the Holy Spirit, he would tell you, He'll tell you when something's wrong, but he'll give you freedom when something is okay. And no matter who's wagging their finger at you, you don't need to worry about what they think of you. You can walk in your freedom. And the only way you're going to know which are the things that you should avoid and which things are okay is if you listen for God's voice and you seek him in his word and by his spirit. So Paul says, train yourself in righteousness, like know the scriptures, but also put your hope in the living God. And allow him to convict you of what's wrong and what's not wrong. So that your conscience is brought alive by the Holy Spirit and you know what to do and what not to do. And you can walk around and live your life the way that he called you to live your life without worrying about what anyone thinks of you. Whether people think you're too uptight or whether people think you're not uptight enough. It only matters what he thinks. And we follow him, the living God, who gives us life and that abundantly.